those are the tallest pot steels in the world, right? I, I, I'm not completely sure, but if if they're the biggest in America, I'm not surprised. And they're bigger than the Glenmorangie ones, which I know are the biggest in Scotland. Tallest, not biggest volume, but tallest, yeah. Um, they're pretty tall. And when I asked them why they made them that tall, they said, well, yeah, that's how much room you had. So they just made really big <laughs> ones because we got a four-story building and they figured they'd take advantage of it, I guess. But, they look pretty badass sitting yeah, there. No, they're cool. That's yeah. a pretty cool thing. We And they, had, they lowered them in through the roof. Man, that was nerve-wracking. We sat on the roof in folding chairs and a cooler full of beer and all these rigging guys. And they're, they're all on you know, headphones talking to each other. And there's guys on down downstairs. There's guys on the roof. There's a guy out there with a truck. He can't even see what he's doing. He's just taking instructions, you know, man, that's nerve wracking when you've got like a half million dollar piece of equipment being loaded in on straps. You what know? If they would have dented one of them, would that change how the whiskey <laughs> would have tasted? If they just put a big dent in there. I'm, I'm not an insurance guy, but I'm assuming <laughs> somebody along the that that chain of delivery would have been responsible for making that good. Could you imagine being that pain guy and they were like, "You're fired"? Cause he you didn't just, seem to care at all. He was like, you know, he was like a sandwich and hit, you know, moving a joystick. He didn't care. So you're saying if it got dented, you would have said, "Hey, just we're gonna go ahead and return this." I bet. I bet, I bet the Forsyth guys because they were there. The, guy, the welders. I mean, they have guys that come and show up during installation. So I'm guessing they would have been able to fix it. I don't know. I mean, what do you do with one of those things? Do you, do you put it in the scratch of denial at the, uh, <laughs> yeah. at the steel? I uh, think it ends up at warehouse? Marshall's. It ends up at Marshall's, at right? Marshall's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just in the bin on the side, 50% off. Yeah. Goodwill. Well, got a 40 foot dent in this thing. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loggerheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the bourbon road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hey, this is Big Chief from the Bourbon Road, and I'm here in Waco, Texas at Balcones Distillery. And I got Alex, and then I got the master distiller, Jared himself, American badass, master distiller of the year with me. And we're going to we're gonna sip on a little bit of whiskey. How you guys doing today? Doing good, man. Yeah, it's yeah. not often you're in the presence of a master. <laughs> yeah. he's a, He told me that he's the head distiller, right? So we'll call him the head distiller, Jared. I mean, I'm getting gray, but... I feel like I got to have a good bit more before that, that title could stick. See, I got uh, that gray goatee going on. That's, you know, salt and pepper, silver Fox. <laughs> That's what I like to call it. I've heard that before. I don't say that around my wife though. <laughs> it doesn't go off too good. So I'm here at Balcones. How long you guys been here for? Uh, we started distilling in 09, uh, at our other location. We've been in this building since, uh, January, 2016. Uh, producing here. We were already storing barrels here before that. We bought the building in 2012 or 2013, I think, but we just had barrels in it up until four, four years ago. And what's your DSP number? Uh, we actually have two. Our first one was 15018 at our original location, and we were operating both for a brief period. And so we got a second one for this one, which is 20062. So we, have, we still have both. That's a lot of distilleries have that today, right? They have a couple yeah, different yeah, ESPs. Yeah. You got to have a permit for 
for everything. Yeah. So we're here in your tasting room, beautiful distillery. We walked around, took a tour, um, and I got to say, you guys are doing it right here in Texas. We've talked about this in the past couple episodes to our listeners that uh, there's some something magical happening in Texas right now. I'm not sure what it is. It might be that you can age whiskey so much faster here in Texas, where maybe in Scotland it would take 50 years to get something. It takes you guys four or five years to get something magical out of that barrel and you know, going through your entire, you took an old, I guess it was fireproof storage company warehouse. You didn't change it a whole lot, right? We changed as little as we could. Um, I mean, obviously for tasting room and offices and stuff, some walls had to go up, but yeah, the upper floors are pretty much exactly like they were. The walls are about two foot thick, concrete and steel. Yeah. It's pretty great. We were talking about it earlier. We we're up on that fourth floor. Uh, you know, it can get pretty warm. People, live in other states just to put it in perspective the fourth floor can get you know upwards of 130 degrees in the summer so um pretty untraditional for a rick house in yeah. the winter in the winter here uh, I, i've told people that it still gets cold as hell here yeah everybody thinks it's just hot here all the time yeah. but it doesn't last long but those three weeks where every night the low is <laughs> you know 28 26 like it, yeah yeah it's it's pretty chilly there's so. nothing no trees or nothing to block the the cold yeah 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 there's not there's not very many buildings either there's trains though. I hear that train rolling by. Doesn't really have. Doesn't really affect the maturation. That's not right. Train, but. Makes it whiskey taste better. Just get that <laughs> image of Johnny Cash in my in my mind, and I'm ready to drink some whiskey. We're, we're doing this really cool project where we're tra- aging whiskey with train noise, mm-hmm. you know, and it really it really <laughs> agitates the molecules. A little bit of vibration a, from sure, the train, and yeah. The, the noise of the train going by. <laughs> yep. You know, a lot of people are doing that today. They're doing all kinds of weird stuff with with whiskey, trying to age it faster and the maturation and stuff, get the the liquid into the wood, and so you know, hey, to each his own. As long as the whiskey it comes out of that barrel into the bottle and it tastes good to me i don't care how you made it as long as it's good so jared what's your background um and where'd you come from before here um before whiskey i mean i really thought uh was gonna be a brewer that was my that was kind of my drive when i was younger um tried a couple times to get a brew pub or brewery open and it never really happened and um yeah over the years of chasing the brewing thing uh yeah at some point in there i just really fell in love with uh, single malt specifically that was kind of my first first love whiskey wise and once i'd had whiskey before you know someone's always got something but no offense to anybody who drinks bourbon on the rocks but that's usually what it's usually some pretty bottom shelf handle stuff and they're either putting it on coke or on the rocks like you know in college or something and i was always like i don't really get it and it was much later i was probably in my early 30s before i had uh a whiskey that was like, oh, now I get it. And then from then on, it was like, I got to try everything that's on the shelf, which of course, 12, 14 years ago in Waco, Texas, it didn't take long to go through everything that was on the shelf. But um, I think a lot of the guys here, myself included, uh, there's just this desire to get your hands dirty into hobbies, things you enjoy and appreciate. Um, whether it's my production manager got really into baking bread and he's like really good at it, but he wasn't going to play around. If he got into making bread, he was going to research. He's going to buy a bunch of books. He's going to try all these techniques. Alex does a lot of woodworking. You know, I used to do a lot of bike mechanic stuff. Um, so just with the kind of folks we have, I think waking up and going, man, I really like whiskey. I never thought once that it was weird that your next step is to say, well, I'm going to start 
trying my hand at it. Um, to me, it seems like a kind of a no brainer, like, yeah, get in there and see, even if it's just to learn more about it and be able to appreciate it more. I know guys have done that with coffee too, you know, kind of, Oh, turns out I don't roast very good coffee, but I wanted to mess with it because I love coffee so much. I wanted to know more. So it's kind of was that. And then here we are, you know, kind of, it didn't seem when we were talking about it in the early days, it didn't ever seem like we were super serious until one day it was like the permit application is off and we bought a really cheap building down a few blocks away. And I guess we probably all had to leave our other jobs and make time for this. Cause I guess we're doing it, you know? So you did it 12 years later. You're, and you're here. here. Yeah. It's nuts, man. Pushing bourbon around. And nobody, the world. I don't think anybody, all the, a lot of the small guys that got started on a similar, similar time, like the Tuttletown guys or, you know, Stranahan's was a little bit ahead of that curve. Garrison, you know, we all got, it was all right around the same time. And it's fun to talk to those guys and be like, man, we get asked sometimes for, you know, press or, you know, podcast or something where did you ever see, you know, did you foresee like, no, no, everybody was doing it because they loved it. Nobody had any, if you had told us back then that where we probably even the Sazerac guys, if you told them where we'd be right now, I don't think they would have believed it in 2000 eight you know nobody saw this coming just this ridiculous explosion of excitement and enthusiasm around whiskey you know if they if they had seen it coming they would have distilled more whiskey they wouldn't have been more. expanding yeah. yeah five years ago they would have been expanding a decade yeah. ago right yeah, yeah. It, I, I think for a lot of us newer folks I'm, I'm one of the the longer tenured uh folks obviously I, I fall more into the the sales side of the world um i've been here almost four years uh, obviously jared you know here the whole time, 12 years, that level of kind of artistry, approachability, um, and just human interaction is, is what I think is, is drawn in a lot of us to, uh, to the distillery, to the whiskey. Um, so I, I knew about the whiskey along, uh, well before I ever started working here. And it was because folks were sharing it with me, which is, I think something that's kind of just woven in the, the, connected tissue of a lot of the folks that work here, but then a lot of the folks that really like our whiskey and that there's this, this sense of sharing, um, true like craft artistry. Uh, I actually went to school for drawing and painting. Um, so it's just kind of like this, this level of artistry that just kind of transcends all things, but just we're right now focusing on, on whiskey. So a lot of times we end up talking about music and, and maybe art and never, ever talking about whiskey. Um, just because it's, this happens to be what the focus is and it's a fantastic focus and it's exploding, right? We're, we're all strapped to this rocket. Um, and, and we're, we're so excited to be a part of it and, and sharing single malt, um, in a category that's exploding. Like the American single malt whiskey category is, is really, is really fantastic. Well, I, I, I know our listeners are like, what is going on with big chief? Cause usually we get straight to the whiskey. <laughs> so I, Tell you what, you guys set this uh, Texas pot steel bourbon in front of me, and let's go ahead and let's go ahead and dive into this sucker and nose it and and taste it, and let's tell the listeners what what you got here. Yeah, I I'll give the quick bullet points, uh, and then we'll try to draw out um, some of the the interesting color from Jared. Um, yeah, so this is this is a Texas pot steel bourbon uh, made with four grains, so it is a true four grain mash bill. Uh, it is of course aged in new American Oak, new chart American Oak. It is a straight bourbon. So it is a minimum two years. Uh, I think for us, what's more important about that, right. Is, is, uh, the fact that it's non-chill filtered, no additives, no sweeteners, no coloring at all whatsoever. Uh, I always like to say we're, we're too lazy to do that anyways, but we think that that just detracts from the overall 
grain, right? If we're going to have really high quality uh, Texas grown and roasted blue corn, if we're going to have Scottish golden promise malted barley, why would you want to chill filter out all of those, you know, delicious oils? Why would you then want to add fake artificial sweeteners to it? So uh, this, this is the newest uh, product that we, we released um, was it a little over a year ago? Yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah, and of course it skyrocketed to um, our number one, I believe, seller. Uh, we, as far as you know, overall mix of products sold, it is at an incredibly approachable price point as well. And um, Jared's got a, a little more uh, interesting story about part of that process, but um, it, it it really is an amalgamation of all things Balcones because it's made with the same rye that we use. Uh, in our 100 proof rye, uh, it's made with the same, again, the Scottish grown, um, golden promise, malted barley, same blue corn, and then some, some Texas wheat. Uh, it, it's, I think it's pretty drinkable. I think there's some familiarity, um, you know, that you could see from some other four grains, but, um, big punchy, oily quality to it that this, it's a really fun drink. Yeah. When he says four grain too, we're doing, it's actually four different mash bills that all get laid down. So we got four different bourbon recipes and then at blending time you got a mix of ages on those you got a mix of the recipes um so there's two of them right here yeah two of the components are, are on the table the so you're taking the, that and putting it into your texas pot steel bourbon is what you're doing right so we've got a 100 percent blue corn recipe we've got a weeded recipe we've got a high rye recipe and then we have a fourth one that we've never even bottled even for a one-off which is our high malt so it's 55 percent corn 45 percent malt um, and all those get blended at the blending time to make, to make this product. Um, the main thing about this one was, well, a couple of things. We started making bourbon in, I guess, late 2014, uh, just kind of some one-offs here and there I never had before. And, um, we didn't really have too much of a plan, <laughs> which is a common thing around here. We lay stuff down cause we're interested and trying our hand at it and coming to understand it better. Having never made a bourbon and loving bourbons, it was like, man, we've got to finally get around to getting our hands dirty and failing and learning and failing and learning and asking questions and see what it would look like and see if we can make something that we're really excited about. So years later, we've got all this stuff that's aged and we, you know, we're not selling. The only thing at the time we had ever sold was the blue corn version. And um, we actually had a really hard, it was, it was in some ways it was one of the sadder meetings I think I've ever had, but we had this kind of heart to heart meeting at the end of 2013, 20, no, sorry, 20, I don't know, 17, 18. Um, and now that we actually have salespeople on the ground, somebody posed the, posed the question of, Hey, if somebody's not into our stuff, like, or somebody doesn't drink it, some bar doesn't carry it. What do y'all hear? Like, what are the reasons? Um, well, that's not a super fun conversation to hear as the person who makes it, but the feedback from guys like Alex was super interesting and something I'd never, a lot of it I'd never really thought about being someone who chases all the special releases, has a big collection, tries stuff all the time. I don't really get offended by proof. I don't really get care less about age statement or even class type. I'll try to give just about any, you know, variety. Um, but there are people out there that drink bourbon and bourbon only. And to hear stories about, someone's at a whiskey show and they come to the table and they want to try your bourbon. And these poor guys have to say, well, actually we don't make bourbon, but, and before you can even say the next words, they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. So we didn't have anything playing in that space. 
proof was another thing that came back. All y'all stuff's like hundred proof or more. It's all hot. You know, it's hard to like, oh yeah, not everybody drinks it like that. Right. And then the last one for any craft brand was price, which is not a surprise. Right. So we sat there and brainstormed. Can we try to come up with something next year that can check all those boxes at once? Um, I know people that set out from day one to make like a luxury brand, but our prices have never, it was never meant to be like, no, this is just for people with a bunch of money. It's just expensive to make when you're small and the ingredients are expensive and the barrels are expensive and all that stuff. Um, so we kind of decided, you know, kind of screw all that. We need something that fits that spot. We need something that's affordable for regular folks in a category regular folks are used to. And since we're not chill filtering, we can't go lower than 46 without it getting hazy. So we already knew that was kind of the bottom limit on proof. Um, so I mocked up a few blends without really even telling anybody. And Gabe, I think you, a few other people, I, I did people, I had people sit down and do a blind. I didn't even tell them what we were doing. I said, here's five or six bourbons. I need you to just take some notes and rank them and stuff. Um, and everybody but me picked the blend I had mocked up of ours over uh, no need to, you know, poop on anyone's brand and name who else was in the lineup. Um, I picked Weller 12 over it, but everybody yeah. else had, um, <laughs> had picked it over everything else I had in the lineup. And that was when I knew, okay, this is, this is something worth, we can at least look at, you know, and another story that goes along with that. And I told the story at, at that meeting, I have a friend when we have big special events, you know, we'll have five, 600 people out there in music and a special release or something. I got a buddy who is a social worker here in town. And, um, I was over at his house for, I think it was either a baby shower or a birthday party or something. And there was a whole bunch of our bottles and I was pretty excited. Man, you got a whole bunch of our stuff open, but he always volunteers when we have big events and we give all the volunteers, take a bottle home and a social worker salary is not big, but at that birthday party or whatever it was, and at some point he said, yeah, those are all ones I've gotten from the from volunteering. I've never actually bought one. And I'm like, yeah, of course on your salary, you're not going out and spending 80 bucks, 70 bucks on a yeah. bottle of whiskey very often. But it just kind of broke my heart. It's like, man, when your friends and your family and your neighbors, when they, they know you do it and they don't mind you bring it, giving them a free one on the birthday, but when to find out they don't go buy it often and it's just because of price, it's kind of like, man, that's not what we were trying to do here. That's not why we got into this. Um, so in a lot of ways, this product was about, yes, it was about making use of all these bourbon recipes we laid down that we didn't really know what we were going to do with anyway. But to me, the bigger part of it is that relational part. And if there's, if there's barriers from keeping people from getting into this hobby and enjoying, it doesn't, it doesn't all have to be fancy. We don't have, you should be able to sit down and have a bourbon. And next thing you know, you and your buddy and the bottle's half gone and not always taking notes and like, you Sometimes know what I mean? It's like, about drinking whiskey. Yeah. It's just about <clears throat> it's telling a, stories. Yeah, and, yeah. It's a, it's, and it's, it's fun to sit down and like really focus and pay attention on what's in there. And we all do stuff like that, but it is nice for, uh, sometimes it's just along for the ride, you know, you're doing whatever you're doing and it just happens to be part of the picture. And uh, well, I, st- yeah. I still haven't got into this whiskey. So I'm nosing on it a little bit and I'm smelling some, uh, some, some kind of floral there. I'm not sure what that floral note is I'm getting. Do you have, do you feel like you have any, uh, I'm also getting black licorice. Oh, cool. And then most people kind of have areas of, you know, like a flavor wheel that they're better at and not so much others. I suck at floral. Maybe I just wasn't around enough hand soap or perfume girl growing up or something, but I I can't. Well, I usually say because I you know grew up on a farm or a ranch, and I always say honeysuckle a lot. I don't know why I say that all the time, but I, I do maybe get that little bit of honeysuckle or honey note in there. 
But I'm, I'm definitely getting some black licorice. Um, I get the some vanillas coming through. I'm not that t- typical uh, whiskey wheel guy. I'm yeah. more of a Skittles or a baby <laughs> brew candy bar. Something like that. Not, I, I don't know. I just, or some kind of cereal like honey smackums or something yeah, like yeah. that. That's, that's my memories. I don't have a memory of dried oak or something like that. Maybe from wood shop when I was a kid, but I never sat there and chewed on a oak stick. So, right. you know, I don't know, but yeah. I, I dang sure ate some uh, honey smackum cereal a lot. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think there, there's, again, I'm, I'm mostly out in front of folks by, by way of sales. And I think it's interesting when, a lot of whether they're new drinkers or extremely experienced drinkers and they're like, oh, I just don't know how to describe this. Um, you know, there's kind of this mysticism of, of being able to kind of pull up that wheel, you know, hologram floating in the air and being able to like, ding, 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 you know, pick out those things. And we, we really, I think one of the things we, we were pretty good at is, is trying to just pull out associations. Like you said, you're like, Oh, farm honeysuckle ranch that right there that that is beautiful that's fun that's cool because there's an association versus just making this so a such a sterile um dissection of it and so i think that's where if you're like man this reminds me of you know that time i, I got um you know a, a box of good and plenty and i was a kid and i used to love that candy you're like oh okay so that's probably because it's a little bit of that black licorice right yeah. um and just being able to tell a story through the glass that way i think is so much more profound than being able to dissect a a, a you know, a flavor or even a color wheel. Now I took a sip of that and it, it, we, it's been sitting in a glass for a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes. And, um, you ever had a prickly pear before like fruit off a, off a cactus. Mm-hmm. I get a little bit of that, that tanginess out of it too, but sweetness and stuff. Um, and that floral note, if you've ever smelt one of those flowers off one of those, it just smells beautiful and stuff. And I know some people might think that's weird to smell a prickly bear pear, but you know that when we were kids, we didn't, we grew up out in the country and you know, if your mom was making prickly pear jelly, that's what you were going to eat. Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to eat, I mean, <laughs> that's what's for, that's what's on the table. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that's what I get out of here a little bit as prickly pear and that, that fruit to me is, uh, that's just what native Texans had to, you know, they wanted to make some jelly or a hog plum or something like that. You get that little bit of tartness on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think most of our whiskeys end up, with the exception of maybe baby blue, most of our whiskeys end up falling towards more of a savory category, um, which to me is, is really fun because the the vast majority, and I, I do enjoy, um, I just picked up a couple of bottles of Ardbeg the other day. So I, I do purchase and drink other whiskeys. Um, but I love how, how much these tend to lean towards more savory dishes than, than kind of like cloyingly sweet dishes. And I think that um, to a certain degree, it's kind of where you're going with that because you could have said maybe cherry, but you said prickly pear. Yeah. I think the other thing about four grains is a lot of people are taken aback because they don't understand a four grain where uh, they're used to drinking just a traditional uh, rye bourbon. Uh, it's three grains. There's nothing extra there and stuff. And then they go to a four grain. They're like, oh, something's wrong with that. I don't think there's nothing wrong with four grain. I think it's just a different style whiskey altogether, even though it's still a bourbon because that corn's the 51%, right? It's still, I, I think it's a good whiskey. And the, the surprising thing is you said a little over two years old, maybe three years old. It's a little bit over two. Yeah. Yeah. That's still good whiskey for, for that age and stuff. In in Texas is what we talked about. The heat really is that really a four or five or six, really. If you, if you, I wish they'd come up with some kind of wheel for that to figure out how old is the maturation. Well, I know, I know a few years ago we had a, it's kind of odd to say, but we had an intern 
Um, and they did a kind of a, uh, a, a mapping of temperature swings, daily temperature swings across. And I know you, you, for, you know, research anyways, you, y'all have been working on it, but those, uh, those variables between specifically Waco, Kentucky, and then, uh, the UK. Well, yeah, if you, if you look at how many days a year in Texas, we've got 30 degree swing in one day and every day like that for weeks, we just, we kind of just came out of it. It's not getting quite as cool at night, but just last week it was 63, 64 in the morning, 93, 94 by the evening. And it'd been that way for like two or three weeks, right? The UK, there's not one day a year. There's not, there's not 30 degrees difference all year from the coldest moment to the hottest moment. It's just that flat rate, right? Um, you know, John Little from Smooth Ambler, mm-hmm. we were at, we were pouring together. I can't remember if it was in New York or in London, but we were together sharing a table and he had pulled out They were, They hadn't quite released it yet. They're about to release their, uh, well, which product was it? They had a, I want to say it was maybe a high ride. I can't remember what it was, but he had like a five-year-old and it was like, you know, duct tape on it with Sharpie. Like it wasn't, it, he just kind of brought it along to like pour for certain people if they wanted to try it and it wasn't quite ready yet. Um, and I'm sitting there pouring a bunch of stuff that's, you know, between two and three years and like easily twice as dark. He was so mad. He's like, I'm going to send you barrels down. I'm going to send some barrels down to Texas just to get the color I need. Cause it's just like, it's never going to happen over here. Um, or it takes a long time, but like you, you know, we were talking about earlier, the, the easiest thing to do in Texas is get color and all the stuff that comes out of wood. That's easy. Um, a lot of places in the country, especially craft distillers struggle with that. You know, they'd like to get it out and it doesn't look quite right. And no one's going to buy it cause it looks really pale, but that doesn't mean it's easier here. We have a whole other layer of difficulty because that's easy to do. You could leave it in too long here. And we've, you know, Texas, whether, I don't know if it's us and Dan's fault. I don't know whose fault it is or if it's <laughs> just the climate's fault, but there's become this, this, this perception of Texas whiskey as all just being pretty, pretty big wood bombs. Um, and while I don't necessarily think that's a problem from a distiller's perspective, from a balance perspective, that just created a whole other layer of tricks and things we've had to, we, where we've spent most of our 12 years trying to figure out, okay, that's easy. How do we make something that when it's, when, when it's got enough wood on it, everything, all the other aspects of maturation have, have kept pace with it. So you end up with something that maybe is more woody than Kentucky, definitely more than the UK, but that's still developed and it's still interesting and aromatic and it's, there's balance to it and it progresses in a way that's, that makes sense and is pleasing. I mean, stag obviously back in the day within the antique collection, if you liked wood bombs, stag was the one out of that lineup that you wanted. Right. Um, so it's not like people don't like wood bombs. Um, but it, creatively does present some challenges of like, okay, how do we, how do we work with that to make something that's still awesome and not just a one trick pony, you know? So sure. it's, it seems awesome for other people, but it's like, what's well, actually kind of a trick, you know, it's, it's kind of a road bump and a hurdle that you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work that Rubik's cube and try to figure out how to work with it. But I mean, that's kind of the magic of, uh, te- I guess, Texas whiskey, but speaking of one trick pony, let's not let that bourbon be the one trick pony. So what do you got for us next? So this is the weeded recipe. We have only sold it at the distillery. Most of it goes into the pot still. So um, we sold some in 18 and 19, two years in a row. We sold some just out of here. Um, So, but, you know. Is that 19? This is 19, yeah. So that was technically a 
This is a single barrel. It's also cast strength, but you know, your, your show's not called whiskey road. It's bourbon road. So we'd figure we'd pull out some bourbons for we, you. We we'll drink anything on there. We'll get, we'll get to some other stuff. We got time just because, you know, we make a lot of different things, but. And I think to, to your point about kind of time and evaporation, I was just uh, working on, I help oversee the single barrel program. So I was looking at um, some casks that we, uh, that Charlie and the Drammers uh, selected and one of, one of them only yielded 14 cases, mm. you know, so you're, you're looking at, you know, 80, about 80 bottles for that barrel when we're using larger format casks that can, you know, hold up to 200, 220 bottle yield. Um, the evaporation over, over those four years, cause that was a four year old single barrel is, is quite in quite intense. So that, that constant inter- interaction with the, um, with the wood sugars, you, you're going to see some really big punchy flavors that um, we, we feel are quite fantastic. Uh, that, and that's why maybe some folks end up seeing this like, wow, how, do, how in the world? How are they? So this got to be a 15 year old whiskey. Uh, I, actually, you know, I think this is a two to four years old. So, so, so we stepped up from 90, 92 proof, right? Uh, was the Texas pot steel. Yeah. And we're going to step it up to... Uh, could be wrong on my math here, but I think this is 132.6. Sounds about right. Um, so this is your Texas weeded bourbon. Yeah, this is our weeded. Like I said, we, it doesn't ever really go out to distribution or anything. We sold a little bit here. This was actually last year's single, we had a single barrel of this. But highly coveted. Some people Highly coveted. It. Now, Jared, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I'm a self-proclaimed weeded king of Kentucky. My goal was to have as much weeded bourbon in the world as I can possibly have. I mean, yeah, it's with, with the proliferation of the small producers, there's a lot more than there was, but I yeah. mean, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't much. I mean, it's even to get references for me to like put what we make in, into context, even for the guys, I mean, there's not a lot of brands. You, there's not a lot to go buy that you can put side by side with your weeder and be like, yeah, here's weeders, you know, here's historically, um, Pretty I much back in the day, there was only makers and, and, uh, well, yeah. that's what you had and peppies. Yeah. Um, whoever can get a hold of that anymore, but now you know so many people have a weeder. You know, Heaven Hill, um, they they had old fits, and um, now they got Larceny out there and Larceny Barrel Proof. This right here, I, I tell everybody, is a beautiful. the The color of it's super beautiful and stuff, and the nose on this is just. And I'm getting caramel and butterscotch in there. That that typical whiskey wheel stuff right there. Some oaks coming through, which I would expect from a Texas uh, whiskey. Yeah, I think one of the things that we, uh, at least I say a lot, I won't say all of us because depending on how people feel about this, but I say that, especially in America, we don't play with our whiskey enough. And so there's there's some fantastic things that happen with um, probably a lot of whiskeys, but specifically our whiskeys, especially since they're non-chill filtered, that the longer you let them sit in the glass and evaporate, um, and then begin maybe, especially a castering product like this and, you know, all of our special releases, are castering, start adding a little bit of water, start opening up some of the, the more nuanced fl- flavor profile. Uh, and especially in something like this, um, the, the more it's just mouth coating and just delicious and you start pulling out some of those, those associations with, I think some, some other similar weeded bourbons as well. I'm getting some, uh, some, some pecan praline in that little bit. Yeah, there's a very dessert quality. Again, this is this uh, the creme brulee, kind of an, like an over-torched creme brulee. And, you know, grandma's ramekin, just a nice 
just, I don't know, a nice, just like slightly, slightly over uh, caramelized creme brulee. Yeah, we like the weeder a lot. Every time we're blending the pot still, we're always so bummed that we have to use so much of it in that product and that we don't really have a place for that to go. But we have held some back. Um, we're kind of playing around with it. We, ha- we, we may not do bottle and bond, not because we have a bunch of stuff that's going to be four years soon. But every time we proof it to 100, I'm like, man, I just like it at cask, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> so this, is, this has got that barrel spice from it, though. Which is surprising yeah. from a weeder because if you drink Weller, if you drink Makers, it doesn't have that that rye pop to it. Where this is not a rye pop, it, it it's more it's of that barrel, yeah, mm-hmm. barrel spice that's coming out of that wood. So it's drawing out that sugar, and then it's then it maybe went on that. I'm not good with that science part of the wood and stuff, but it is drawing out some kind of spice out of that wood. Um, yeah, I mean a barrel can give you a lot of. Um, Depending on how it's toasted and charred, you can get easy. You can. It's super easy to get things like cinnamon and clove, um, which of course leads into people having, you know, people are associating it with, a, you know, a cobbler or a pie or something, or you know, snickerdoodle stuff like that. It's pretty easy to I get can, that out of the. I can uh, pour this over some cobbler for damn sure. Yeah, some yeah. Brahms vanilla ice cream. Texas well, Brahms I'm a, vanilla ice cream. Like a bluebell, I'm guessing. I'm a big old fat guy, so these oh. days I got to drink uh, or eat uh, Rebel Rebel ice cream, which is lower calories. Oh, okay. Made, less made sugar? Made less out of sugar. oats or something? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What's my, it tastes Co- good coconut, to me. Is it coconut, coconut oil? Well, they make a vanilla bean one that I will guarantee you, you put that on top of uh, some peach cobbler and then pour a little bit of whiskey over that and let it set for just a little bit. It, it's delicious. And hey, this is an excellent drinker. It, the, it dr- definitely drinks to the proof of it. I think um, it's exactly where I think it. It's it's right there with that Larceny Barrel Proof, which I think is a great uh, weeded bourbon, um, great expression and stuff. I got a beef good. with I got a beef with Larceny because the uh, <laughs> not because of what's in it, but when the old Fitz bonded, was it bonded or just a hundred proof? But that went away because they were using all the stocks for larceny. And I used to love buy, buying that old Fitz expression that I think is back even. But mm-hmm. when that, when my liquor store guy said, yeah, they're not going to be sending us that anymore. But we got this new thing. And I was like, <laughs> sometimes you, uh, you know, you, you start messing around with your product sometimes. And they say they're doing it because of the consumer and they did so much marketing studies and stuff. And I, I listened to a couple other podcasts and they were talking about that, about marketing and how they've studied the consumer and what what label is going to pop to them and what sure. what their tastes are like and stuff. But you're worried about the new consumer when you're not concerned about your older consumers that still want to buy that standard um that standard bourbon, like heaven heal bottle and bond. Yeah. A lot of people are upset about that, that six year going away and right. seven year. And then they didn't release in Kentucky. And that was almost sacrilegious. Right. You know, um, how dare you release it, uh, release it in its home state. Well, I think in some ways that's a good indicator of kind of what Alex was saying earlier. These things, it, I think that one of the things that keeps me up at night and then I encourage everybody in our organization to really think about if this is just about making whiskey, then I don't, I don't get it. It's gotta be about something that's broader than that. There's gotta be something about why we do this, how we do this, the things we care about, the things we put into it 
that, that if that didn't apply to something to life in a much broader way, then we're just making alcohol, you know, we're just making a drink. Um, now you got a whiskey library up, up yeah. top up there, right? Yeah. And you were telling me that you let everybody, you want them to sample that because you don't want them to burn out on their product. But I think that's awesome. I heard a story from, uh, there's a place called Hattie B's mm-hmm. Chicken yeah. in, in Nashville, Tennessee, right? And the way they came about with their Hattie B's is they kept going out and buy other people's spicy chicken and tasting it, tasting it, tasting it. And they would taste theirs and try to get theirs to the right, um, yeah, to the right temperature right everything i was at hattie b's once and uh you got you gotta go if you're close you know if you're even close you gotta go by so um went by we eat a lot of spicy food in texas it's not like we don't eat spicy food (laughs) and i uh it was pretty late and i said well you know i get like a four piece or whatever it was and it's going to come with white bread and you know, not, not much to it. So I get me a shiner. I can't remember. I think it was a long neck, maybe a tall boy. I don't remember. Give me a beer, sit down and do this thing. I'm like, what spice level do you want? And I was like, well, I think they do like one to four, one to five. I was like, oh, just, just like one. I don't, it doesn't need to be crazy. I just want to get an idea of what this is about. And, uh, Tommy, who's our distillery manager was with me and he got something else. And I muscled through that. And I, to this day, I hope they gave me something like way higher than one and they just messed up my <laughs> order because I barely could. I mean, I was like sweating, crying. I don't ever, I don't really eat bread. I went through every piece of bread, got more, had a second beer and I'm just like four little tenders. And Tommy's like, you don't have to finish that. I'm like, no, I'm gonna finish this, man. I hope that was a four instead of a one. Cause if there's, just if there's anything higher, hotter than that, I don't really want to know. So if our listeners don't know what Hattie B's is, it's a, it's a fried chicken joint in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and, and Nashville hot chicken. It, it's extremely spicy, and I do not recommend that. If you're going to go to Nashville and you <laughs> plan to go down to the uh, to Broadway and listen to music all night, I do not recommend you go listen to music down on Broadway after you eat that spicy chicken. Um, you know, you better have a iron gut stomach. <laughs> take take some tums with you or something. So to just kind of finish up on that Texas uh, weeded bourbon and stuff, I. I think that's a great expression. I'm so happy that you guys had sent me a bottle and, um, and I'll cherish that thing. I, if you're, I'd say if you're in Waco and they're doing the release, uh, come by here and make sure you pick up a bottle of that. If you're a weeder guy, uh, if you can get your hands on a bottle, it's definitely delicious. And I can see why, um, just some, it, there's some toffee in there. Some, I get the chocolates coming out and stuff. It, it, some people that are not whiskey drinkers don't get that, but not a whole lot of oak in that, which I'm surprised by. Uh, the, I get more sweetness and stuff, not no dryness. Coats the mouth on the back end. Uh, finish is kind of medium, but a great expression of uh, weeded bourbon. You poured me a new expression here. What do we got? Yeah, this is the, uh, and Jared talked about it uh, earlier. Um, this is this was the first bourbon that we had released. And in true Balcona's fashion, we weren't going to release something that was in, uh, incredibly familiar to folks. So this is actually 100% uh, blue corn. So the same blue corn that we use for uh, baby blue, true blue, 100 true blue cask. Um, so, so blue corn can be different, really a different color than just blue, right? It could be different red or, uh, I mean, there's a ton of varieties of heirloom corns out there that are different colors. The blue is going to be blue. I mean, if you've ever had tortilla chips or something like that made with blue corn, it's, it's, a. Uh, 
It's blue. Ironically, the fermentation looks kind of purple and pink. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of years ago, whenever there was a, a yellow corn shortage and they were going to for tortilla chips um, and they were going more white corn right. and blue corn, was it harder for you guys to buy the corn for this or did that affect you at all? No, not really. I don't think the, probably the blue corn market. I don't know how big. I have no idea how big of a market it is, but a I mean, we have, we've got deals. We have we have to contract with um, farmers. I mean, we've got people that are designated that are growing for, growing it for us. We have to give them, you know, projections for the year, and they grow that much for us. So. So blue corn, it truly is an American corn, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was developed by the uh, Hopi and the, or Hopi and uh, Pueblo Indians in New Mexico area around um, Albuquerque that yeah, area. Yep, ours is grown out in West Texas, so right. People, farmers are so funny because he had no idea. He grows it right on the border. And at some point, this is probably about three years ago, four years ago. And he said, uh, it's, it's grown on both sides of the border. Would it matter to you all if you were getting the Texas stuff or a mix or it's like, well, yeah, if you're growing it right on, if you got farms that are straddling both sides. We, we'd prefer, you know, send us the stuff that's grown here. <laughs> and he went back and checked his records. He's like, Oh, I've been sending you that for years. I was like, I've been telling people this stuff's coming from New Mexico for like five years and it was being grown here. So, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's grown out West and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the Texas grown grain we've got, the, the barley that we started doing. If we, if we get around to the high plains, which is Texas grown barley, that, that was grown out there too. And so the French oak is pretty specific for a lot of people who haven't had French oak, especially virgin French oak. Uh, it, it's tight. It's kind of floral. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of mineral. The heads on it are the evaporative, the solventy parts are just get a different, get, get a different flavor to them. And French oak has about triple the tannin that American oak does. So the oakiness just has a different vibe to it. It's a tighter grain, right? The oak itself. It's not. Uh, as- we do. We do use extra fine grain. So yeah, it's real, real yeah. tight. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this, this tends to be a bit punchier than the weeded. The weeded is a bit softer. This, this is definitely, definitely spicy and mm-hmm. um, the nose on it. It, it, it's more of that. I think this is more of a traditional rye bourbon that tastes like that. Anyways, um, got that spice. Like you said, a little bit of sweetness there though. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's hundred percent blue corn. So it's, there's, there's no, no other grain to kind of round out any of those edges. It's just the really, high, it, you know, it's the same blue corn that we saw um, out, out by the silos on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a yearly release, uh, usually around September or October. Mm-hmm. Um, so every once in a while, you can still find this on shelves. But it's it's cast strength special release. It's the only thing um, that gets the blue wax seal. Which is, I don't know if I've ever even asked Jared like how did that end up with? That's the only the the corn's blue on it. That's yeah. Yeah, but true blue and baby. Yeah, yeah. special special <laughs> special. Well, it, t- it tastes good. That's for sure. You know, as a bourbon drinker, you know, you, you got to love great expressions. And, and once again, it's got that, te- I almost say a Texas color of bourbon, you know. I don't know if I should say that or not, but they're all, you know, I'm looking at six different bottles here and they almost all um, have that same color, except for the pot still is a little bit lighter in color. Yep. But that's proof. That, yeah. that all just that beautiful, that beautiful dark rich I, I don't even know what color to talk chocolatey color maybe um, a beautiful. deep like a deep amber yeah so yep. balconies what's before we take a break here what's yep. the balconies how did you get balconies um like i said our first the reason we started distilling and our first love was always single malt and um there's some cultural differences for whatever reason 
that for some reason, a lot of these American whiskeys, brands, distilleries, there's a lot of reference to family. Um, you know, I've made the joke before. It's, they're almost always named after some old dead white guy. Right. Um, for whatever reason. And which is great. The idea of like family tree, the idea of relationships and, uh, offspring. I mean, I love, I love that idea. Um, and for some reason, you know, there's just cultural difference in the single malt tradition tends to be, uh, tr- tends to reference place and location and geography. Um, and there's something about that that was always really beautiful and attractive to us. So Balconies is the name of the fault line, the escarpment that, that we're on. I-35 in Texas pretty much sits right on top of it. It's the most dormant fault line in North America. If it ever decides to move, I-35 is going to be in pretty bad shape along with the 80 million people that are driving on it right now. Um, it's already in bad shape. I had it's, Yeah, it's, it, it's the roller coaster ride out there right now. Yeah, yeah. but um, so yeah, so yeah, it's uh, you know Dan mentioned this on on your episode with Dan Garrison. D- d- distilling whiskey in Texas was the biggest question mark. None of us had any idea what, what it was going to be like. We had no idea how it was going to turn out, um, but we knew that being here and obviously, honestly, the, I mean, the climate, the microclimate we've got here versus even what he's got versus what's the skies in San Antonio got versus the Gulf coast guys. It's not the same. Texas might as well be 12 different States. If you want to talk about yeah. specific areas of soil, weather, rainfall, humidity, all that stuff. I tell people that all the time. They, they'll say, Oh, it's just a Texas to me is a dry desert. And I'm like, man, you got, you got the Gulf coast the beaches. You got swamps. You have you got piney woods, East Texas, yeah. the East Texas pine. Yep. Um, Red river area. You got panhandle. Yeah. yeah. Big you got the mountains. Um, you got the hill country, Texas, which to me is the most, it's kind of sacred to my heart, the hill country. Um, and you got the Northern plains and yeah. it's just, you got high desert. You it's got a, a little bit of everything right. in Texas. Place. Yeah. Big place, a lot of variety. But because of that, I think the idea that where we are is really going to matter and we're going to spend who knows how long, probably the rest of our lives trying to figure out how this place plays with whiskey and what does it want to do? And how do we, you know, how do we treat it like a partner? How do we collaborate with this area? Because it really is a major contributor to how the whiskey gets made. And I've heard Alex say this before, but to some degree, he's not wrong. This, because we have we have open fermentation, so we're getting wild bacteria and yeast from the air. Different times of year, that changes depending on what's blooming, blah, blah, blah. You add that to the maturation climate. Could you make this somewhere else? And the answer is probably no. Would be it'd be different, I, yeah. And I I think I've said that before. Stuff. First off, I I don't think that Wild Turkey or Jim Beam or or any of the Buffalo Trace products started out the most famous bourbon of all. You know, they had to start somewhere, and they got better over time, and um, it turned out great. But so we'll finish up this blue corn. We'll take a break, and we'll come back for the second half. How about Sounds that? Good. Perfect. Sounds like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, 
are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. Big Chief, and we're back for the second half of our uh, tour of Balcones Distillery, and I'm still sitting here with Alex and Jared. I actually got my little brother sitting here with us, too. He's just sipping on whiskey and smiling. So we're going to start the second half drinking some Texas single malt whiskey, and this is kind of what I'm familiar with seeing in on the Kentucky shelves up there in Indiana, I guess, and, um, and in te- not in Tennessee, but um, in Kentucky mostly. I, if you go into, I think, uh, Total Wine and Liquor Barn, you'll see this this expression in there. Yep. Yeah. And actually, last year with uh, Total Wine, Liquor Barn, and Kroger, uh, they all uh, selected a handful of single malt single barrels. Uh, around Kentucky, I, I assume most of them are probably maybe sold out. But if anybody were to see those, you know, look for the gold wax seal on, on top. And the, we we did sell some single barrels to those guys. Yeah, uh, the paddocks, the total wines at the paddocks uh, by Norton Brownsboro is uh, where I saw there's several cases of it sitting there. The last time I was in there, it might all be gone by now. Um, and maybe those guys that are looking for that single malt. So this is a little bit different, not a bourbon. Yep. Um, tell me about a single malt. Yeah, so this is 100% malted barley. Like I said, my f- uh, for a lot of us that work here, our first love was kind of our entry into whiskey, even though we, shoot, we're drinking mezcal, we're drinking brandy, whatever. Um, that for a lot of people, their foot in the door was scotch, single malts. Um, so from day one, we knew we wanted to do that here in Texas. And um, so a lot of our equipment was designed around that principle. So we've got four slide stills. We've got Scottish stills, uh, not Vendome. Like a lot of people have, we've got no column here. It's all pot. Um, those are the tallest pot steels in the world, right? I, I, I'm not completely sure, but if, if they're the biggest in America, I'm not surprised. And they're bigger than the Glenmorangie ones, which I know are the biggest in Scotland, tallest, not biggest volume, but tallest. Yeah. Um, they're pretty tall. And when I asked them why they made them that tall, they said, well, you, that's how much room you had. So they just made really big ones because <laughs> we got a four story building and they figured they'd take advantage of it, I guess. But they look pretty badass sitting yeah. there. No, they're cool. That's yeah. a pretty cool thing. We walked, and they had, they lowered them in through the roof, man, that was nerve wracking. We sat on the roof in folding chairs and a cooler full of beer and all these rigging guys. And they're, they're all on, you know, headphones talking to each other. And there's guys on down downstairs. There's guys on the roof. There's a guy out there with a truck. He can't even see what he's doing. He's just taking instructions, you know, man, that's nerve wracking when you've got like a half million dollar piece of equipment being loaded in on straps. You what know? If they would have dented one of them, would that change how the whiskey <laughs> would have tasted? If they just put a big dent in there. I'm, I'll, I'm not an insurance guy, but I'm assuming <laughs> somebody along the 
that that chain of delivery would have been responsible for making that good. Could you imagine being that pain guy? And they were like, you're fired. Cause he you didn't just- seem to care at all. He was like, you know, he was just like a, a sandwich and hit, you know, moving a joystick. He didn't care. You, so you're saying if it got dented, you would have said, Hey, just, we're going to go ahead and return this. I bet. I bet, I bet the Forsyth guys, cause they were there. The guy, the welders, I mean, they have guys that come and show up during installation. So I'm guessing they would have been able to fix it. I don't know. I mean, what do you do with one of those things? Do you, do you put it in the scratch of denial at the, uh, <laughs> yeah. at the steel? Uh, I think it ends up at Marshall's. It ends up at Marshall's, at right? Marshall's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just in the bin on the side, 50% off. Yeah. Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Got a 40 foot dent in this thing. Yeah. Uh, it's got a big scratch in it. Yeah. But, but it, yeah, they, they picked up the roof. They picked was, up the, those, so yeah, the, the roof plates. has panels that open. Yeah. So I had to drop it in from the top. It's yeah. pretty crazy. It was nuts. Like, it's, yeah. it's like a new, new dad, right? That you're just like, Oh my gosh. Look at this. Well, I've I've only owned one new car in my life, and it's kind of the same. If I buy a guitar or a bicycle, I'm always kind of like, man, somebody. I just need to go ahead and get this thing dirty, scratch it, something, so you can stop worrying about it. So yeah, watching those things go in when they're worth about half a million dollars each, you're just like, oh god, like we just need to get this thing dinged up and dirty anyway. So let's just go ahead and do it. But now you guys are doing a sweet mash. We talked about that on our tour. Not a sour mash, and a little bit more expensive, but a cleaner method. Um, get a different taste to it. Now, the thing I was noticing about this single malt, it's it's got a different nose on it. The reason I threw this in for a couple of reasons. One, single malt is, we make a million different things, but single malt is really what we started out to make. It's the whole reason we were here. If you gun to the head, to the distillers and the blenders, you can only make one thing the rest of your life, it, it'd be single malt. Um, but what we've always tried to do with our, our flagship, especially single malt is... This is Scottish still, Scottish yeast, Scottish barley, but we're aging it in New Oak. So it does kind of have a foot in both traditions. It's in the Scotch tradition and the American whiskey tradition. And it's been fun. We were talking about this off off mic earlier. It's been fun over the years to watch guys are like, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a Scotch guy. Well, it's not a Scotch. It's a single malt American whiskey, though. And watch them go, oh. Well, yeah, there's a ton of wood on here. That's all familiar. You know, I actually kind of dig this and I mostly drink bourbon. Um so, it, yeah, the wood part of it is uh, very familiar. And it's it's a great educational and exposure tool, too, for people who drink a lot of bourbon and rye American whiskeys who think they don't like single malts. And everybody loves to talk about how much of it's the barrel and is it 60%, 80%, whatever, whatever percentage of the final product is oak. And when you throw a different liquid in on top of new oak, now you can see what's the oak and what's the liquid, you know? So um, I'm not really... I don't know what I'm picking up on this nose right here. I just. Do you, do you drink a lot of single malt? Or do I don't. Nose burning uh, but I have seen it on the shelf plenty of times. I just never, um, I guess I just never pick it up. And I'm also wondering, maybe like roasted peanuts mm-hmm. is what I'm getting off that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the color on this thing is just, it's, it could be the label because the label is black, but it's super dark. And I'm wondering how long would it take to make a single malt in Scotland? It's this dark. Is it sherry aged or, or not? I mean, it, yeah. If it, if you got something that's aged in sherry, like you're going to get some color from the wine barrel. But if it was just an ex bourbon barrel, man, that'd have to probably be 25, 30 years old, probably. Especially if it's that dark, yeah. Yeah. That, if you're a Scotch drinker out there and you're listening to our podcast and you're you're one of our listeners and you you want a uh, rich single malt. Man, this is this is where it's at. Yeah. T- to me, I get, I get kind of banana bread. Yeah. Um some kind of whack, like slight waxy honey qualities to this. Um, 
some really just really fun grain qualities that that really jump out. It, it's still very much surrounded by you know some some of those the sweeter notes that you would get from the barrel exposure, um, but it, it's still really rich, overwhelming palate. This I. I, I I love, I haven't had this whiskey in a, in a while, be totally honest. Um, I was most recently drinking High Plains, which I know we'll jump into here shortly, but I haven't had this in a while. And, and it is, it's our most decorated uh, whiskey. We've won close to a hundred different golds, double golds, best in class with this, which is, which is really fun. But at the end of the day, it's just, it just tastes really good, especially for 106 proof. I, I feel like there's a, there's a nice sweet spot at, at this level. That's still, it rem you know, it's very, very um, overwhelming. Um, but I think in a very uh, refreshing way, it, it's, it, it doesn't fall flat on the palate. It, it's just long lingering oily quality. That's just, it's, I love this whiskey. You, you mentioned talk today and in another episodes about what's happening in Texas and, um, use the word magic. Uh, it's such a young new thing. Uh, and I think some of our buddies in that are part of the association with us, there's a lot of people doing really good work and it's really pretty diverse. I mean, if you look at what Dan's doing, what we're doing, iron root, Ranger Creek treaty. I mean, everybody, Andalusia, gold coast, like there's just a huge diversity of climates here. There's a huge diversity of interest from the distillers themselves, what they're interested in, what they're pursuing. Um, we've just got such a long way to go, but for scotch lovers to try and figure out what does that look like if we do that here? And usually people are familiar with newer Oak in America. Let's let's, how do those things even going to play? And the answer is it's never been done. So um, it, it feels like a very honest uh, nod to both the thing, the whiskeys that we first fell in love with and also still reverently respecting and utilizing being here uh, and what those things can do when you combine them, you know, and it's a combination that's never been done at the same time, Texas whiskey was exploding. What we, what a lot of people call world single malt. So it's basically single malt. That's not made in the UK or Japan. Um, we've got Taiwan, India, you know, Australia, New Zealand, us, there's all these places where single malt has been taking off also in the last 10 years. So in some ways the story, part of the balcony story is these two really cool movements that are semi brand new, which is Texas whiskey, which absolutely didn't exist. And then world single malt, which kind of existed, but has really been on the rise. And, uh, it's not often, not even necessarily in a lifetime that a new category or region of whiskey goes from not existing to existing. And I feel really fortunate in my career, my, my, my years as a distiller to have been a part of two of some of the most exciting emerging things at the same time, which is Texas whiskey and uh, American single malt. So, so, so I've sipped on this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And what soft drink is Waco famous for? <laughs> Dr. Pepper invented I, here. DP. I, yeah. I actually get a little bit of Dr. Pepper sure. in a single malt. So those secret 23 flavors, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I do. I, I was sitting there thinking about it. And We've actually done a couple of really cool events with them because it was invented here in you know, the museums just a few blocks away. And uh, we did an event here where they brought some of the syrup, you know, like not the soda, but the condensed sure. stuff. And um, but there's some, yeah, some cocktails. Yeah. Andrew made our, our, our bar manager made some really cool cocktails using yeah. the Dr. Pepper syrup. So have you well, go ahead? I'm just going to go ahead and shoot this out there. Yeah. Have you ever thought about doing a collaboration with them and doing some kind of Dr. Pepper whiskey, a Dr. Pepper? Um, we have talked about something like that. It, 
unfortunately it wouldn't be it couldn't be a whiskey at that point because it would have stuff in it that's not great well, some kind of flavor though right yeah it'd be a flavored whiskey i guess if you did something like that but uh, i got a second follow-on question about another one too yeah we've talked about either barrel aging some maybe oh you you're, you're bad he's showing me a picture of big red <laughs> so everybody knows that big red soda is made in texas too yeah um I, it's it's <laughs> It's, we don't have any collaborations planned that involve Big Red. No, no, but Dr. Pepper <laughs> might be down the road. Yeah. It could be. I don't know. Yeah, if we, it does have so much cool like herbal bark, you know, bitters kind of notes to it that it it, it would make a lot of sense. And it did when we did these cocktails. He did like a coffee. There was cream and the Dr. Pepper syrup. It was awesome. But it would either be a flavored whiskey or we have to maybe finish it. Like if we barrel aged some Dr. Pepper syrup and then emptied it. And I don't know. We could, we could come up with something, but it would well, be barely took a barrel. Right. Right. And just put Dr. Pepper in it in a bourbon barrel. Right. Well, we could, yeah, we could just and then you put the whiskey back in there. Right. Yeah. It'd and be like the honey barrels and the maple barrels and stuff. We could do yeah, something like and that. And big chief gets the number one bottle. Right. I saw some stuff recently about Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew was made to be mixed originally the original recipe was made to be mixed with oh really it was it supposedly that's that was made as a cocktail drink but in kentucky we say l81 is the yeah that's you drink you drink whiskey with l81 that's what you drink it with is a ginger ale mm. yeah um, okay it's it's pretty damn good yeah but i've never had uh whiskey with dr pepper i'm gonna try it now yeah i think uh i'm gonna definitely have to try that so hey if you're a single malt drinker uh and a bourbon drinker and you want to try in a single malt i think this is a good entry level even though it's it's a little higher proof right yeah, it's yeah the Tex texas one is uh 53 or 106 proof so i i think that would be a good entry level single malt for people um if they they're bourbon drinkers yeah. bridges the you, gap yeah and maybe you're right you made a new category of whiskey here um you know is texas whiskey is that its own category um but texas legislation say hey this is the way you got to make texas whiskey i don't know no not currently um yeah that's one of the uh kind of one of the sidebars with the texas whiskey association I think most most people who make anything that that the danger of having too much regulation around something is not super exciting. I like we all like the idea mm -hmm. of both with American Single Malt and with Texas whiskey preserving as much creativity for the producers as they have currently. Um, but like you mentioned, it, there's not a whole lot going to stop you from taking whiskey from just about anywhere in the world and throwing a cowboy hat or a belt buckle on it or some spurs and selling it to Texans. And it's just going to fly off the shelf. Sure. Um, I can't tell you how many times, even like the Texas crown, like when people realize that that's not from here and they go, <laughs> what? But it's a big state. A lot of whiskey gets drank here. A lot of money is being spent on whiskey. Um, and anybody who makes it from the ground up, I think, and even most whiskey consumers, I think would appreciate the fact that if that's on there, it actually means something. Um, the Texas Whiskey Association currently, we're not doing a lot of lobbying. We don't have the budget for that. But we did kind of want to set aside the people that make whiskey legitimately from grain to the bottle um, and highlight their stories. Tell that story. Share with people this magical thing that is happening that they may or may not be aware of. And make sure, too, that if people want to buy something that's in a Texas-inspired bottle that's got all the bells and whistles that says Texas, 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 but it's actually from Indiana. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Support that if you want. 
but you should know what's in there. Right. Sure. And, um, when you find out you go out of your way and you spend the extra five, 10 bucks because this is a small brand and you think when you spend that money that you worked hard for, that it's going to support a farmer somewhere out in Amarillo or whatever. When you find out it's money that's going to Kentucky, Indiana, wherever it, it can be pretty disheartening, you know? So I think so yours, yours says certified Texas whiskey yeah, on the back. Yeah. Certified Texas whiskey means it was fermented, you know, mashed, milled, fermented, distilled, bottled in Texas. Uh, yeah. And the Texas Texas Whiskey Association, is that the same as the Texas Whiskey Trail? Is that two different separate entities? or The trail is run by the association. Yeah. So if you're uh, do, always doing your pilgrimage to Kentucky and you're going to that Kentucky bourbon trail, you know, and you're, you've been to a couple times, you want to go to a different whiskey trail, come to Texas. And how many distillers do you guys have here? <laughs> I think we currently have 16 members on the trail. We just added, uh, we just added one, I think, last week. I haven't even had a chance to make to all of them. Uh, it's a big state. That's that's the other funny thing is we've kind of got it broken up into regions because just doing the central Texas, you know, six or seven that are in that area, that'd be more similar to doing the Kentucky trail. Cause you can knock it out. But I mean, man, if we get, we got people all the way down the coast, all the way up to Denison, sure. you can't do that. That's a long drive. You can't do that. And, uh, very, now, very and, easily. And Jared, who's the president of that Texas association? Uh, whiskey association. Well, I'm, a, I'm hesitant. Cause if someone's, you know, had a, bad experience or someone's got a beef with the, with the association or the trail. Never know. Um, I'm, I'm the president currently. <laughs> I'm serving my second year. And when that rolls off, I'll, uh, I'll go back to being a, a layman for a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't had to do a whole lot. Spencer, uh, Whelan, who's our executive director, uh, really drives that train. Um, I think if anything, the, the main thing I was able to bring to the table is that I knew most everybody. Um, and so, I feel like to a large degree, once my job was almost done, once I really just could get everybody at the table, a lot of them who didn't know each other, and let's just get the conversation going about what does it mean to highlight, to join forces, let's tell the story together. Everyone's not fighting the same battle on their own. Um, and maybe someday it does turn into some legislative stuff. Um, obviously, there's things we would love to see be different. Any industry is going to have that. Um, so we'll see. I. I I didn't tear up, but I did get a little excited. It went from four or five people grabbing a whiskey and dreaming about what if we could get united and have a united front and tell the story to a few years later, we were at one of our, we don't always get to meet with all the members that often because we're all over the state and there's a lot of them, but we were sitting down at Treaty Oak and I mean, there probably, there had to be 50, 60 people in the room. That's good. And, feeling, and right? I, I just, I mean, I, I didn't really know what to say. It's just like, for me, this was about community. This is about what we make and telling that story and to watch it go from literally like this many people to a room, half of which I've never, I don't even know who these people are. Like we've grown that much in that time. Um, and it's got so much excitement and momentum. And I said it then and I'll say it now, really all we have to do is not screw it up. <laughs> we kind of need to just be good stewards of this thing that has a lot of momentum, has a magical thing going on. And really we probably just think, be thankful we're along for the ride because it's a, like I said, man, how often, how, how, how many people are going to get to be a part of something that literally did not exist? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a once in a lifetime yeah, thing. That's a rare know? thing. Yeah. So that, that's kind of that bourbon culture, whiskey culture and stuff where people want to be part of something great and drink great whiskey and um, make sure that the whiskey's successful in that area. Definitely so far, so good today, right? I've, 
we're working on going to work on our fifth fifth uh, whiskey here, and um, which yeah, I think is a kind of a perfect segue to talking about High Plains. So the High Plains is a release we did in 2018, I believe, no 2019, summer 2019. Um, barley is not grown everywhere. Obviously, Texas, we got corn for days. We got plenty of wheat. We got plenty of rye. Um, so A and M was working with. Um, friend of ours out of Pflugerville, Blacklands uh, Malt. He's got a, a, a small malting facility there, and they'd been trying to work on a barley variety that could handle both our heat and the dryness. Uh, so a heat-resistant, a drought-resistant and heat-resistant strain of barley that could grow in Texas. You just built a wall for me. You just built a wall. You said Texas A&M. I, oh, yeah. I was like, hook no, <laughs> Wait, guns up. We got sick of bears. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm just messing with yeah, you. Yeah, But... Uh, yeah, so they they finally got something that would grow out in the High Plains area, and uh, we bought as much as we could of the first year they had a successful harvest. Uh, this is just a four-barrel blend. We've laid down a lot more. We've actually got some that we've been checking out right now that's getting close to three years old that's really, really nice. Um, so everything else about the process was exactly the same as how we make our regular single malt with Scottish barley, the difference being this is this is Texas-grown, malted, distilled, fermented, barrel, matured, bottled, everything in Texas. Um so I, I kind of included that a little bit for novelty, but um, don't have a whole lot of bottles a lot left, but um, yeah, that, that, that didn't leave the distillery. So that was distillery only. We had a, we had an event here, you know, a couple hundred folks showed up for that and could purchase a bottle. But I, I do think it's, it's a big, there's quite a big difference, you know, in the nose and in the palate. This, this tends for me, instead of being such a, you know, if you're looking at kind of, putting something in a box, right? It's Texas one single malt to me is, is definitely more fruit. Uh, I get a lot more like apricot. This right here, I think is like sourdough bread. Hmm. Um, I, I love high plains. We, we don't drink it often because there's really, we really don't have much. I could get that. It's that it's, uh, it's kind of got that, like a, I'm going to say a wheat bread, but yeah, just, just more bready. I think the mm. grain just really yeah. shines through. And of course, at the end of the day, the way that, you know, they blended it, you know, Jared and Gabe and team, the way that they blended this, I think is just, it's, this is such a fun whiskey that we, I, I feel like a lot of times we oftentimes forget because it didn't leave the distillery. So it's hard for us to kind of carry that message, um, outside of, uh, just the special events that are here. So it's always, it's a pleasure to be able to kind of retell that story on, on, you know, on the podcast uh, about this because it's, it's, it's Texas. And right? part of, part of the reason I pulled it out is I think, I'm sure you see this everywhere you go and talk to folks. Um, whiskey is so dependent on agriculture. And for us, it was a, another first, you know, like I keep going back to the same idea, but I mean, me and Dan sat in Louisville. Uh, I can't remember what hotel we we're at drinking stag when it was easy and cheap <laughs> to find. And uh, there was just no idea at the time. Nobody knew what was going to happen with aging whiskey here and i feel like it's been over a decade of like and then what and then what and then what and this is another first it's like man single malt's been our jam oh man we're right on the cusp of having barley that can actually grow here that's beverage grade malting grade um but you barley. didn't tie yourself to one one thing you haven't tied yourself to single oh, yeah. malt or bourbon you've got some rum here you got some other expressions yeah right? yeah i mean we got we, some rye whiskey uh you, you haven't tied yourself down to saying hey we're just this one trick pony i think we're mm -hmm. too curious and we're too interested in all of the all the facets of what it means to be a distiller 
And so every time we find out there's another option of something that can be tried and played around with, it's like, well, yeah. Well, I could tell there's Sign us up. very curious guys up there in that blending Absolutely. room. Absolutely. Very happy, curious guys. Yeah. It was like you had them locked away in their little dungeon <laughs> and they're just <laughs> sipping on their little glasses of whiskey. But there's there's blenders bottles all the way around the room, on the tables. Uh, you know, you got the uh, almost the Snow White and the seven little drawers <laughs> up in there. Uh, blended whiskey, right? Um, so I think that's awesome. Is that, 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 you make, guys does that make am I Snow White in that analogy? <laughs> you are. You are. You <laughs> are Snow White. White, white in the beard. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. You ever job uh, kids? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know the whole thing where like I spy something, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So our old house, the paint was white. We had a, this little terrier mutt that was white, and I'm sitting there with my daughter. She's almost ten now, but she was probably like four at the time. And we're sitting there getting close to bedtime and she goes, I spy something white. And I'm like, is it the house? No. And I was like, is it the dog? Is it Ollie? No. Kept going around. And then she's like, dad, it's your beard. And I was like, <laughs> man. Anyway. That made you feel good, didn't You're, it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you hit like yeah. peak dad right there. I actually there. thought when I was younger, every once in a while, you know, you see someone who's gone full white kind of early and they look awesome. And I was like, man, if I, if I go gray early, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Big old you know, long white hair and a big old white beard. That'd be pretty cool to be like that white in like 34, you know? Well, I, I tell you this, you got a, you got a nice beard. This but, is, and I told Alex this earlier. This is lazy. Uh, you guys could be ZZ Top together. <laughs> I'm telling you. He, he's actually musical. I'm not. I like music. You're not musical? No, I, no I'm not. No, but it's just a bass guitar. You look like a bass <laughs> oh, guitar dang. from ZZ wow. Top. And doom, 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 doom. No, no, no. You could be a bassist. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, you could play dun, bass dun, in a band. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so you could yeah. play, you yeah. do play the bass or? <laughs> no, no, no. Tommy, Tommy used to play the bass. Sure. Yeah. Distillery manager. No, I, 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 no. That's high praise though, saying you look like one of the members of ZZ Top. No, that's why I, like, I, I will not accept nor deny that, that, <laughs> that claim. Little, you got the little cowboy hat. It's, it, that's not little. You it's, got the rocker rings on. I'm, <laughs> hey, man. Embrace it. No, no I will. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, yeah. So I got, we, got a, we got a friend up in uh, Leapers Fork, Tennessee, um, Matt King. Um, he's their PR guy. I might have to get you to reach out to him. And I told him he looked like Forrest Gump after that run. Oh, ooh. So – he did, but he just just shaved his beard. Now he's now he's a pretty boy. So, uh, hey, once again with this Texas uh, High Plains single malt whiskey, I think, man, just it's it's pretty amazing that you could get a single malt. And I've had some single malts in my life, and I I was like, eh, I don't know if it, they're a little bit light. Sure. You know, the thing about bourbon and uh, older bourbon, it's dark, it's rich, it's complex, and that's what this is. It's definitely got so much character to it. Um, and I'm just wondering how long would that take to make? Uh, that was about 27 months old, I think. Um, I mean, we've all seen pictures of like, you know, McAllen comes out like a 40 year old and it's really dark, but, um, I don't have a whole lot of scotch that's that dark unless it's sherried. So we're going to move on to, yeah, the last thing we got out here's the Bach. Yeah. You know, Texas is famous for Shiner Bach beer. I think right. it's, uh, I, th- I think it's pretty legendary. The label's legendary. It's got the the Ram on there. And so you guys collaborated with them. What'd you guys do? So yeah, the receptionist calls in and says that the master brewer from Shiner is on the phone. His name is Tom. And I thought at first somebody was messing with me. I thought it was somebody kind of, I assumed it was a friend or whatever. I was playing it cool. I never let, he never knew that I was, that I spent the first minute or two being like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, sure. 
but it really was Tom. And so they called us down. We went down to, we went down to San Antonio to their head office and uh, sat down with some of them. They had the marketing team there, there and stuff and the head brewer. Were you pretty excited? Cause you oh, yeah. were a beer brewer before. Sure. Right? Absolutely. I mean, in Texas, like, I mean, like you said, I mean, I mean, that's just an, like, that's an iconic brand and they make great product when they, they've got logger down for sure. Um, I've, I've been there. I've gotten emails yeah. or texts from somebody in the middle of the night and I'm like, is this really this person? Why are they talking to me? Um, I'm like, this, you gotta be kidding yeah, yeah. me. It's How a, lucky am I? Yeah. It's a, that's yeah. a funny thing. So they, they were right off the bat that we want to do something. We don't really know what let's, let's, let's brainstorm some stuff. So there have been two beer releases that they've aged their beers in our barrels. And, uh, we just gave them about 90 more barrels a few weeks back. So there's something else that they've got, uh, cooking for later in the year, probably a winter release that they're going to barrel age. Um, and the funny thing was, I just threw out there. It's like, that's what everybody does when there's a collaboration between a brewery and a distillery, it's putting a beer in a, in a whiskey barrel, which is cool. And it's delicious. But as for my end, that's just me sending shipping you some barrels. That's not super exciting. Can we do more than that? Um, and what if we were to take y'all's recipe, your yeast, everything, and see what that would look like if that was, if that beer turned into whiskey and they didn't even seem to care. They're like, yeah, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. I'm like, oh, okay. And we walked away and it was just kind of word of mouth. We shook hands. There wasn't any, no, we didn't sign anything or anything. And, uh, we, we, we left their office and started heading back up here. And I was like, man, I, I don't know how they feel about it from my perspective. Like, I feel like we totally won that deal. <laughs> well, we get to make Shiner Bach into whiskey. Are you kidding me? And, uh, so the day we were mashing in, we were going to start the fermentation. They came up, you know, obviously they took a lot of pictures and stuff. It was kind of a big deal. They sent us all the, they sent us ingredients. We had big stainless drums that they brought there. You lager yeast, which I'd never used a lager yeast for a whiskey before. We were super excited. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a little bit over two years. There's another one that was probably about 27 months or so by the time we bottled it. But, um, it was, it was a complete handshake. We have an NDA because obviously they were going to, we were going to get, we were going to be privy to their recipe. So I know how it's made. I can never say I'll lose fingers or I don't know what, what'll happen to me if I ever make, shave your beard. make me shave my beard. Um, little known fact before quarantine, I didn't even have a beard. Just kidding. It's, it's been a lot. I, did. <laughs> I was um, like, I don't know what you're putting in this whiskey. If you didn't have a beard before quarantine, you're growing yeah, that thing. No. You might want to sell this as hair care. Right, product. Right, yeah. <laughs> This is what we sold to LeBron. And I just, <laughs> uh, anyway, he's a, he's a Spurs fan. So that's why he said, that. uh, but yeah, it was a super cool project. We laid down a bunch and even when we started was kicking artwork back and there was a bunch of other ideas and I was like, I really just want to use y'all's official colors. I want to use the Ram. And when the email came back after I kicked in the artwork, cause I do our label label artwork. I sent it to him and I was like, just waiting, waiting. They sent it back and like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, print are you okay we basically just get to throw the shiner bach label on a whiskey bottle like okay um which i still have yet to i threw trademarked graphics on the bottle when i don't even have legal permission to do so other than email chain but we're trying to get it solidified because we would obviously love to keep this relationship going and do more of this so because we like the whiskey it's not just the about the great. yeah um yeah it turned out really fun it actually has a lot of things about it that kind of remind me me and gabe when we were doing the blending we're thinking a lot about weeders and stuff um and yeah, there's some peachy apricot stuff. There's a little bit of the cherry and it was tough. I wanted to do it a little bit lower proof. And then we talked about doing it higher and we're trying to figure out, we've never had to deal with this before, but we're trying to put something out there that 
Balcones drinkers are going to buy, but also knowing a bunch of people who buy Shiner that maybe aren't really normally whiskey drinkers are going to buy and trying to find a sweet spot, both with price and the proof where it's approachable, but not watered down and, you know, boring. So we were really happy with it. We worked on that for quite a while. I'm pretty excited to keep getting to play with it and see what we can come up with in the future. Well, I'd have to give a shout out to uh, Waco Bourbon from Instagram. Mm-hmm. He actually got me a bottle of this, and I knew it had sold like hotcakes, right? It it flew off the shelf. Yeah, we only had about 900 cases, which to us still sometimes sounds like a lot, but obviously to some distilleries is just you know a drop in the bucket. And it um, we launched it in Texas and then a little bit in Oklahoma, which for Shiner is, is their two biggest states. And it, it, I mean, in about, I mean, definitely less than a week it sold out. I mean, we, we had some really cool programs in place with a lot of, uh, a lot of the stores and, you know, they might've gotten seven, eight cases and, um, they would, they would sell out in a couple hours. So, uh, it, it went fast and furious, which we weren't really surprised by. Um, but I still think we maybe were surprised by just kind of the, just the ripple effect that it had as far as good and bad, um, just communication of just, Oh man, I'm so bummed. I didn't get this or I didn't think to grab that bottle. Like, are you going to bring you know, some more of the things? I think maybe <clears throat> people that aren't on the, on the production side of the whiskey phenomenon don't realize how f- it's so difficult. Every time you do something that's really cool, if it's too, if it's small enough, you don't really have a whole lot of people coming back and saying, man, high five, you knocked that out of the park. 90% of the comments and questions you field are angry people who didn't get it. Yeah. And it's, it, it's got, I'm glad I don't answer those emails or phone calls, but there's way more grumpiness about who didn't get it and who didn't get as much as sure. they wanted. than there is people going, I'm glad I got it. Thanks. That was really cool. I really dig it. Well, I was one of those guys that, you know, threw up an Instagram post and next to a shot, I might've been the first one. Yeah. I might've beat everybody to the punch. As soon as I got that bottle, I th- got to grab a shot and broke Bach out of the fridge and took a photo and, I actually drank both of them side by side. I was going to say that was a, that was a thing I didn't I, I didn't think through that at all. Like how many people were doing bowling breakers and doing side by sides and like oh I can get this oh there's these I can see the shiner in here. I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't I don't I, I don't know why I didn't think through that. If it hadn't come out during quarantine COVID situation, we will probably it would have been really fun to do a lot more collaborative. Like let's go out in the market. Let's have like events at a bar where there's going to be the barrel aged beers and regular shiner and the whiskey and like, let's do some flights and all that kind of stuff. But maybe someday the world opens back up and we can get, we can get out there and do some more fun interactive stuff with the public around these releases. So but, you said you're a basketball guy, right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of end it on this right here. Sure. And I, I actually talked to this about Alex and in Kentucky, um, makers Mark does all kinds of university of Kentucky, um, branded uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why no Baylor Bear color? Uh, I what did we do? That is we the, well, for the rise is yeah, the rye. We did the gold wax seal, so, so it's green and gold. Green and gold is and there. Of course, the big joke is all the ryes are green, which of course they're not. But everyone in our mind, everyone thinks, well, why the are category. all the rye labels green? Yeah. So when we started working on our rye, same thing about five years ago. I was like, we can't do green, and then. Zach yeah. Pilgrim, Tom, all these people started like, no, we have to, we have to, because that's the joke. And so we ended up doing it. I got outvoted a little bit. I was like, we can't do a green rye. Everyone thinks that's the thing. 
But so yeah, that's the closest to a green and gold. We've every once in a while on game days that they would run a special up here, yeah. like if you because that's the one label that's green and gold on game. Yeah, day. but it's, but it's like for for like legal reasons, I, I think we we can't. I mean, what? you can't sell alcohol oh, to, do a, to do a Baylor thing. Yeah, oh, yeah as far yeah. as yeah, not just a Texas thing because UK does it. Other colleges do it. So yeah. Oh, I mean, Baylor's a dry. You know, they don't. That's they're not really their jam. Yeah, because they're more of a Methodist uh, college, it's right? Institution. Yeah. 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 So even the, yeah. I think this is pretty common for a lot of college stadiums. But now there is a bar in in, in the stadium, but it's not open on game days. Mm-hmm. I bet you go up in there some in private suites up there. There's private suites. Suites. <laughs> suites that's, yes, that is. Private suites. Yeah. There's, plenty of, there's plenty of alcohol in the private yeah, suites. There's, Common people like yeah. us, we just have to suffer until we get the back common out people have it in their boot yes in their boot yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you guys sell something for that here at the distillery though. we don't have our own packaged like 375 flask type bottles but like some people have done that which is pretty smart well guys hey you know i um i'm glad you guys brought me in here and let me sit down with you guys you guys always have a second uh job as uh stand-ins easy type guys <laughs> i'll tell you that and and if the whiskey doesn't work out you know, your head of hair, Alex, man, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got to see it underneath <laughs> Cowboy Hat. Yeah. I don't know if it's whiskey it's making it grow that I much, it but is. if it is, just keep drinking it. Yeah. We'll Never. have to ask them if we can do that. Got a yeah. nice thick beard, too. You just do you rub it in? Or? Yeah, the whiskey, yes. I would, too, Bathe, man. Bathe in it. See, that's a good commercial for you guys right there. Just have him, like, coming up out of a pond and flipping <laughs> man, his he's hair He's the back. face of the brand. It should be him. <laughs> Not me. And, and pouring it on his hair and rubbing it in or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find our listeners? What's how many states are you guys in? Uh, so I, actually, as of yesterday, we were in I believe it's thirty seven states. Um, we just opened up or reopened, I guess, uh, Georgia yesterday. So that that's that's pretty cool. Um, you can also find us in the UK, um, even into across Europe and Australia as well. So we we are rapidly growing. Um, there's only a handful of states in the in the Midwest that you you really can't find us in, um, but I mean it, it, the standard states that you're thinking of, we're, we're probably in there. We've got quite a bit of distribution. And your military bases in Texas and Virginia, you'd said. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. That's kind of kind of runs. And you're hoping to be in more. Oh yeah, we're we're always. I mean, one of the things that again it kind of goes back to the beginning of the the conversation is, um, at the end of the day, we love sharing the story of Balconies and, and sharing this whiskey. So the more folks that are interested, we're always open to opportunities uh, in and out of uh, military, traditional markets, uh, domestic. Um, we've got some opportunities in Canada as well um, to, to to share the whiskey. And where can our listeners find you on social media? Um, we're on Instagram. Twitter, I mean, all the standard places, uh, Facebook, I think we have a YouTube as well. Um, Balcones Distilling is kind of the easiest thing. Um, Jared is the head of all social media. <laughs> Just kidding. Jared doesn't, at really all. Did, does really, doesn't really do social media, but we're, we're on the traditional, um, traditional, you know, channels for social media. All right. Well, yeah. Like I said, guys, hey, I appreciate you uh, absolutely um, having us here at the distillery today, sending me some whiskey to drink and stuff, and I might have to grab all these bottles and just take them with me and drink even more. I don't Did you know. guys drive or fly? 
We, I drove, man. All right, well, shit. We this throw, is, this throw, is a, throw the, in a box. Yeah, this is a whiskey mule right here. He, hey, he knows. We he are the it. bourbon road. We get on the road. Um, it, I left. It's it, not the bourbon skies. That's <laughs> negatory. We're <laughs> we're not those guys that'll call you up and want to do an interview. We're the guys that want to come get face face with you and, yep. and uh, have that human interaction. So I left at Shreveport this morning. Um, got to see my new grandbaby uh, last oh, yeah, couple guys. Great. 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 Thanks. Yeah. And uh. Three thirty this morning. Drove over here. Had breakfast with my uh, my baby brother and my mom and sister, and um, come over here and drink some whiskey with you guys. So once again, I say uh, thanks to you guys. And uh, yeah, so the Bourbon Road we can be found on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and we have a YouTube channel, uh, the Bourbon Road. Um, you can look at our website, thebourbonroad.com. You can order our Glencairn glasses on there uh, with our uh, name etched on there. It won't wash off. Um, those come from uh, one of our sponsors, the distillery products. And uh, if you'd like to buy some other glasses with your stuff etched on there, if you don't want wholesale, you can actually reach out to them and go to Premium Bar Products. And they've got all kinds of bar accessories, glasses. You can get your own bar's name put on your glasses for you and stuff. Um, just a great team over there uh, in Montana. They will hook you up. Um, you can find me at One Big Chief. Um, you can find my co-host Jim that's back in Kentucky right now, Jay Shen and 63 on Instagram. Go into Facebook. We had a private group in there, the Bourbon Roadies. We've got master distillers in there. We've got distillery owners. We've got master blenders. We've got all kinds of folks in there. The queen of bourbon, Peggy No Stevens. You name it, they're in there. They'll talk to you. They'll discuss whiskey with you. That's what they want to talk about. And another great thing is they share whiskey with each other great part about the bourbon culture um you never can tell what you'll get in the mail from a from a fellow whiskey uh friend um other thing they ha do in there is we give, do giveaways all the time so pay attention to those if you liked our uh, episodes uh, you're listening give us a review hopefully it's a five star i'll take whatever you give me really um, <laughs> if you like my deep voice I think it deserves five. So uh, six. Six. <laughs> so I'll see you on down to Bourbon Road. Cheers. We do appreciate all of our listeners, and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the Bourbon Road. We hope you enjoyed today's show, and if so, we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five-star with a review on iTunes. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Bourbon Road. That way you'll be kept in the loop on all The Bourbon Road happenings. You can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog, listen to the show, or reach out to us directly. We always welcome comments or suggestions. And if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.